Good evening. This lecture, Bezrat Hashem Ubi, Lerfuat Aliza Malka Batlea, Lerfuat Vered Batikva, Ulavdi Leilui Neshama, Rachel Dina Bat Avraham Alevi, and also for my father, which now it is your side, started now, until tomorrow night, David Ben Yosef. Baruch Hashem, it's the second Yorzeit of my father, two years since he passed, that we found out on Motzi Shabbos, and uh, we had to catch a flight and to go to Israel the next day. And uh, it's important in the Yorzeit of a person that uh, you bring, uh, besides the Divrei Torah, as you can see, we, you know, we bought you some fruits and cakes, courtesy of White's Bakery and Benji that ran around shopping today. So when you make brachot, do leilui nishmat, David ben Yosef. So uh, it's good to say in your side of a person, when you make a seudah or divrei, you know, brachot, to say a few things about the niftar. So my father, Baruch Hashem, besides uh, raising us, was a very hard-working man worked very hard all his life. Life in Israel was tough when we were kids. Wasn't, uh, didn't have any luxury. He worked, very, he was making diamonds. That was his job. So he worked maybe more than 40 years, going early in the morning, taking the bus from Batyam to Ramat Gan, which is almost an hour, coming back at night with the bus. I think it was even two buses. And it's a very difficult job all day to sit like this, you know, in a place with a lot of noise, just to take care of his family. But one thing we all can learn from my father, literally, he was one of the most honest people existed in this world. It's no exaggeration. He did not know how to say a lie. If you ask him, you beg him, He'll try to convince him he would not be able to say a lie. He was so honest and straight, so down to earth, never stole a penny, and never had one enemy in entire life. 77 years he lived, now one person did not like him because he was so down to earth, so humble. And uh, he, when he grew up, he was born in Eretz Israel. My father was born in uh, Tiberia. He was born in Eretz Israel when the British were in charge. It's before Israel became a state. So my, ma my grandmother, his mother, she was a very righteous woman. She worked in the house of the Chazonish for a few years. She was uh, like the maid over there. The house of the Chazonish was the biggest rabbi in the world one of the biggest ever, but in that time, for sure, was a giant Chacham. So she, they came. What happened is my grandfather, that I'm named after him, Yosef, he was born in Lithuania. His name, original name was Yosef Zeringer. That was his name. And he escaped from Russia over there, Lithuania, to Iraq because there was a war, I think it was 1918, it was a big war. He escaped to Iraq, Kurdistan, that area. That's where he met my grandmother. She was a very religious woman. 
and he was also religious. Back then almost everyone was religious. And they came to Eretz Israel from Iraq on donkeys. That's how it was. It wasn't flight those days. You either walked or you came on donkeys, like the time of Abraham Avinu. How do you think Abraham Avinu walked around? That's how it was. They came through Kurdistan, Turkey, taught uh, Syria, those areas, and then to Israel. And they sat in Tiberias over there. When later they moved them to Tel Aviv, south of Tel Aviv over there, when the British were there. My father was a little kid. They used to give food stamps. There was no, nothing to eat. You get a bag of flour, that's it. Make yourself bread. And uh, if, you wa if you wanted to go and get food in the time of curfew, they used to shoot at him to the legs to scare the kids. But the kids was telling me how he ran left and right, left and right, because they were shooting on the floor to scare the people not to leave the houses. And my father, older brother, back then, I think it was 1947, his brother was a soldier of Menachem Begin in the time of the Etzel. My other two uncles, they actually built Israel. They made the roads, they built the first factories. My uncle was working in a Hofer. A Hofer is a company that actually started the, all the facilities in Israel. They were in uh, Etzel and uh, Haganah also. That was before the Israeli army. Fighting the Arabs there in 1947, my uncle Nisim, his name was, died when he was 17 years old. He got shot, and then after that, Menachem Begin used to come every year to the York side. But my grandfather, after his son died, he did not leave the bed for the rest of his life. Decades. He was in bed, sick, all his life, couldn't function after that. That was his end, from the time his son died. He kept saying all the time, I should have died instead of him, should have... Why did I agree to let him go? He was only a kid, 17. There's not enough people. The Arabs there, I don't have to tell you how they are. And uh, we were fighting for our life, not just to get Israel. We were fighting for our life. So those were the days. Those were the days. And uh, you know, in those days, there were a lot of people that started to leave the religion. The parents were all religious, but then the, the new generation were already born in Eretz Israel. Some of them started to become criminals. I remember how my father used to tell me how he grew up with that criminal from the news, and this one, and this head of mafia. And he always told me, you see, you can learn, in a, you can grow up in a worse place, but you can have discipline. You can control your choices not to be like them. This is it. So you come from this kind of reality, Baruch Hashem, and... Uh, it's, it's very difficult to find today in the world, besides some very big tzaddikim that we know, someone that would live his entire life without stealing a penny, all his life, from anyone, or without lying. I remember when I had a rich uncle, every once in a while he wanted to buy diamonds. So he used to come to my father, because he knows he's going to get it for him for the factory. We'll save him some money. I need this and I need that stone and I need few small ones. He used to go for two, three days from one place to another to look for it. Yeah. For them. Finally, when he get it, me as a little child, 
I used to tell him, well, what are you going to do? You're going to sell it to him for the same price you got it? You have to make some profit for three days. You're walking around from one place to another. You lost your work. So I never forget it. He looked at me in such an angry face. He said, you're not embarrassed? How do you talk? This is family. What do you mean to make profit? I said to him, okay, not to make profit, but who's going to pay you for the three days it didn't work? But this is the kind of person he was. He just did not know tricks. Did not tricks. He couldn't trick anyone ever. Amazing. So it is good, Baruch Hashem. Also, you know, some parents in Israel, when their when their sons become religious, they're not happy. Unfortunately, they do everything they can to stop them. They fight them. They beg them. They threaten them. By us, it was the other way around. My father says, as long as you continue making money, I'm happy. <laughs> You'll be very religious. Just don't let it make you stop working. Because <laughs> he already saw. He already saw what's coming next. So next thing, I went to yeshiva and all this. But it was always worry, always worry. I remember my sister was very shy. She was very shy. She not, it wasn't the kind of girl to go out on dates or something like that. So he was worried. What's going to happen with her? She's so shy. How is she ever going to date someone? For years he was worried. And me, I wasn't such a, <laughs> a big tzaddik. But I was telling him to relax him. What are you so worried about? In the end, she'll find someone. Then when she found someone, I told him, see, all these years you were eating your heart, worry, it was all for nothing. But this is a little bit about him. Unfortunately, what killed my father was cigarettes. That's really what happened. If he wouldn't smoke, he could live another 10 years easy. But the cigarettes, when you smoke, you pay the price. It's such a bad addiction that even in the last days of his life, when he was in hospital, he would take the mask out and go out to smoke he didn't have cigarettes. He would ask for someone if they have cigarettes. Knowing it's going to kill him. A person knows that this cigarette can kill me now. I can choke and die now. He cannot stop with his addiction. This is why I always tell kids to start maybe already too late to stop later on. The idea is to be smart. But thanks to my father, I never smoked one time even a cigarette in my life. He always warned me. You see, you see, don't be like me. Look how stupid I was. I started, and now look how much I suffer. One time there was a strike. There was no cigarettes in Israel. Couldn't find in any stores. For three hours, four hours, we walked from one kiosk to the other. One, two, three, ten, twenty, fifty. We got to Hulon already. Different city. Now one of them have cigarettes. You see how much I have to suffer from this stupid addiction? Could have had another apartment by now. So when you're a child and you keep getting it, you get scared of it. Back then it was a style. That was the first time in Israel history that kids started to put earrings on their ears. Not like today, every other fool puts 15 on all over his face. It was one earring. So my father saw that one kid from my school had an earring, told me, make sure he never step in our house, this guy. And one thing I will tell you, if one day you think about doing that stupid thing, 
I'm telling you, when I'll see you in the morning, when I wake you up, that you have this, I'll cut it with your ear together. <laughs> so two things he saved me from. Because you know how dumb kids are. They like to imitate society. Hey, come on, try, come be a man. And then it happened hundreds of times. What? You don't smoke? Come, smoke with us. Never touched it and never dare to even think about hearing. Today there's much worse things than hearing, and all these tattoos and the drugs, Hashem Irachem. It was a different generation, Baruch Hashem. This is a little bit uh, small eulogy, and a second yorzeit. Bezrat Hashem, soon soon we'll get to see him again. We finish Baruch Hashem on Shabbat, Sefer Bereshit, is a period of 2,200 years in a creation. Since Hashem created the world, the first parasha in the Torah is 1,400 years, parashat Bereshit. Bereshit bara elokim, toshamayim v'taharetz, until we get to the time of Noach, 1,400 years. And from then on, the rest of Sefer Bereshit, if we, uh, we had all together 22 years, so, 800 more years. That was the rest of Sefer Bereshit. Now we're going to Sefer Shmot. But the time of the fathers, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, is finishing right here. Last parasha, parashat Vayichi, the last 17 years of the life of Yaakov Avinu with his son Yosef, finally found out he's alive. And the, the Gemara said that 34 years of Yaakov's life were happy. The rest were all sadness. What, what 34 years? The first 17 years when since Yosef was born until the day he lost him. And the last 17 years of his life, this is Gimatria Vayichi. Vav 6, U10, Chet 8, U10, together 34, to show you Vayichi. He was alive only 34 years of his life. 113 years of his life were not happy. He had a lot of bad things. His brother wanted to kill him. His daughter was kidnapped uh, by Shechem by, by and Hamor. All these uh, horrible things happened. His son disappeared. He, the love of his life, Rachel, she died young in her 30s. 20 years he was a slave to the biggest crook ever. Took, took advantage on him for 20 years. He worked for him for 20 years. It wasn't an easy life that he had. It was not easy. And now, finally, he got to Eretz Goshen. Baruch Hashem, Paro gave them a very nice, big property, all the way by the water, far away from the Egyptians, because Yosef planned it in advance that they would not want to be together with the Jews, because the Jews are shepherds. And the Egyptians hate shepherds because they worship the, the, the sheep. The sheep is their god. So he said, you take the land of Goshen and be over there. And they were there. That's what explains that uh, the Jews became, in the end, millions of people. Started with 70 people when they came to Egypt, 70 people. Then after the slavery started, it became millions of people. When we came out of Egypt, it was more than 3 million people in a period of 210 years. But the slavery was not 210 years. The slavery, it was only 80-something years, that's it. 
how many years from the time Yaakov came to Mitzrayim, the slavery started? 107 years. 107 years after Yaakov passed. So Yaakov was in Mitzrayim 17 years, plus 107 years, 124 years. So from 210, take 124, what does it give us? 86. 86 years, that was the Auschwitz, the Holocaust. The Holocaust of Egypt, 86 years. The Holocaust in Germany and Poland was few years. Right? How many? Six, seven, five? Five years. Oh, over there was 86 years, already few generations. The, the parents, the children. After Yosef passed, another Paro came into power. All the kings of Egypt, they called them Paro. And the Plishtim Avimelech. They have like a title name. There is a machloket if it's really a different king or it's the same king who changed his skin and pretended he forgot Yosef. One, that's one option. It looks a little bit more logical that it was a whole different king, new king. It's a whole new because it's written in the Torah, Vayamot, Vayamot Melech Mitzrayim. King of Egypt died. But Vayamot could also be that he got leprosy. Few things makes a person count like dead. One is that you have leprosy and you have to be isolated. So no, you can't interact with anyone. So your life is finished. You're, you're isolated. Or you lost all your money. You used to have money and now nothing is left. You're left with nothing. That's also considered like you died. Or you never had children. Never had children. You lived all your life, you couldn't have children, whatever, for whatever reason. So that's considered also like that, why? Because no one to continue your, your genealogy, your descendants. So according to one shita, Paro became, he had leprosy. And he used to slaughter babies and take their blood and make bats in their blood, believing the blood is gonna be good remedy for him, you know? Well, there was no vaccines there for leprosy back then. Yet. No vaccine, you know. So that's one opinion. Second opinion was all different king. New king, he forgot already, no, no gratefulness to the Jews. In the beginning, the tribe of Ephraim and Menashe, the children of Yosef, they had special uh, status because they are children of the most important person in the history of Egypt. The one who saved Egypt from destruction and he was in charge of all the money there for 80 years. Yosef, from age 30 until the day he passed, 110 years, 80 years he was in charge of all the money. Everybody needed his approval to get even one bag of flour or, or, or wheat or barley. It became very powerful. Plus, all the real estate of Egypt was transferred to the government, to Paro, thanks to his brilliance. How he made all the people, you know, give up everything they had, and then he allowed them to use the fields in condition that they'll pay 20% uh, commission to Paro. He made Paro a zillionaire. He made him. So he obviously was a legend. And, e and, e and even when the new king started to make all kinds of sanctions against the Jews, the children of Ephraim and Menashe were have special privileges. How do we know? 
because they, are, they escaped Egypt two months before the exodus of Egypt. They all got killed. Shevet Ephraim, they decided to leave Egypt. How can you leave Egypt? If you're in Auschwitz, but the Germans are going to let you leave? Hey, Hans, Hans, uh, it was not nice meeting you. We're going on a trip. Where? To Israel. What do you mean? Stay here before we kill you. No, no, we decided the whole family, we, we're leaving Auschwitz. What does it mean you're leaving? You, you don't have the right to leave. So how the tribe of Ephraim left, as you read in the Tanakh, that they call and the Goim killed them on the road, those are the bones that the prophet Yechezkel, Ezekiel, revived. That's what we, we read, Chazon HaAtzamot HaYevashot. There were thousands of bodies, skeletons. For about 700 years, they were in a dry desert between Egypt to Israel. I don't have to tell you over there every day is 100 degrees. Every day in the winter even. Very hot over there. Hundreds of years, if you take a bone, take a bone of, a, of a, any animal or even a human being, put it 700 years in the sun. You come after 700 years, and what do you do? You go like this. You snap it like this, it crash to powder, right? After 700 years. To rebuild the skeleton, to connect the pieces, to reconnect is not really possible. But here, that's what happened. That was the miracle that Hashem took uh, Prophet Yechezkel. He showed him all these bones. He asked him, can, can these bones come back to life? Can they revive? And he told him, only you know Hashem. Why? Why he didn't tell him, of course. Of course, if Hashem wants something, <laughs> whatever he wants will happen. The reason is because not everybody will revive in the resurrection of the dead. Someone that is wicked cannot come back to life. Only righteous people come back to life. Righteous people and those who made tshuva before they died. Maybe they were wicked most of their life, but before they died and they left the world, they became shomer mitzvot, they, they fixed their bad way. They can come back to life. Ba'alei tshuva. Aval, if a person, for instance, today will die mechalel Shabbat, what chance he has to come back when Mashiach comes, he can't show his face Bechlal. It's written in Prophet Zechariah that HaGash Baruch Hu will purify the entire world. The whole world will be purified from all the wicked people, the Jews and the non-Jews. Both of them will all be clean from the face of the earth. Now you have to bring back to the world all the tzaddikim of all the generation from Moshe Rabbeinu all the way to, the, to our time. Who knows, more than a million people. A lot of tzaddikim, David HaMelech, Shaul HaMelech, all the big tzaddikim, Chizkiyahu. So you have to bring them back to the world. How are you going to bring them back to the world? Only the righteous people. I said one time, just for that, it's worth it to be righteous. For us. Imagine if it will happen in our time. And there is a nice chance that it can happen in our days. So imagine all the people that died many, many hundreds of years ago, and they come back to life. And you see all these figures. And, you, and there's people you never saw in your life. And you ask him, hi. Hi, how are you, sir? Nice to meet you. I'm uh, Moshe Cohen. Uh, I'm Benji Aronov. 
Yes, what, what's your name? I'm David Ben Ishai. What? You, David Ben Ishai? Oh my God, who are you? I'm Yosef. Yosef Ben Yaakov. You, you Yosef Tzadik? Tzadik? Don't exaggerate. You know, you come, who are you? I'm Avraham Avinu. Oh my gosh. Imagine the excitement. You have thousands of faces now. Who are you? The Gaon Mivilna. How many times are we going to faint from excitement? I just touched the Gaon Mivilna. Oh my God. Who are you? Lutzato. Ramchal? Oh my gosh. Who are you? Rabbi Yosef Who are you? Dari. Ari, Luri Ashkenazi. Imagine how many names. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Rabbi Akiva. You don't, you know, you want to know who to run. Give me a bracha. Wait a minute. Don't run. You don't know who to go now. Wait, wait. You Rabbi Meir? Wow, you Rabbi Yochanan? Who, who should I ask for a bracha? You don't need a bracha. That's it. Mashiach came already. You good. Imagine the days. Did you ever think about it? Just for that, it's worth it to suffer 80 years just for this moment, to be around with such people that we read about them thousands of times in the Gemara, in the books. We don't suffer. Being religious is not a suffer. It's a job. It's a mission. It, 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 it requires dedication, yes, but it's, I don't see so religious people are suffering. They enjoy. A lot of them now in Florida, unfortunately, winter vacation. Some of them in Dubai, summer vacation. Shemirachem. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see the houses here in Flatbush or in Monsi or in Lakewood is a place that people are tortured inside. Somehow, something inside me tells me that people are okay, you know? Are okay. Let me give you an example of what's going to happen in those days. Let me give you an example. Because uh, if we don't read it, if you don't read it in uh, Tanakh directly, it's a little bit hard to understand what I'm talking about. Bezrat Hashem, I'll give you some example of what I'm talking about. I'll read you a few psukim. few verses I will read to you. What is going to happen very soon? We'll start with the Torah. The Torah says, "Batzar lecha, umetzaucha kol adevarim ha'ele ba'acharit ha'yamim ve'shavta ad Hashem elokecha ve'shamata bekolo." Translation: When you under stress, suffer, and all these things that the Torah describes, all these bad things are happening to you in the end of days, which is now. We are now in the end of days. You will return all the way to your God and you will listen to his instruction, to his voice. And another verse, this was the Dvarim Daled verse Lamed. But in another place, in the Sefer Dvarim Lamed, it says, When all these things will come to you, what? The blessing and the curse that I put in front of you. You will push it back into your heart. You live among the goyim that Hashem threw you there, scattered you over there. 
ושבת עד השם אלוקיך ושמעת בקולו. You will return to your God and listen to him. ככל אשר אנוכי מצווך היום, as I command you today, אתה ובניך בכל לבבך ובכל נפשך. You and your children with all your heart and all your soul. And what will be the respond of Hashem if you're going to do that? ושב השם אלוקיך את שבותיך וריחמך ושב וקיבצך מכל העמים אשר הפיצך השם אלוקיך שמה. השם will also cancel his bad plan and the punishments that were waiting for you and will collect you from all the world and bring you back to the land he promised to your fathers אברהם, יצחק and Yaakov. טוב, that's in the Torah. And what will happen after that? Umal Hashem elokecha et levavcha. Hashem will circumcise your heart. The word circumcision means to remove the bed out of you. Orla. Like Orla Talev. You have Orla, right? And then you have Orla Talev. Orla, Arel, it's someone that consider non-Jew. Why? When he becomes a Jew, when you make him perfect, how do you make him perfect? It's circumcising. Even the Goim understands that today. But almost all of them circumcised. But this is the term of removing the bed out of you. And Hashem say, I will circumcise your heart and the heart of your children to help you to love your God with all your heart and all your soul that you should live. What life we are talking here about? Life of eternity, not life of a dog here, ten years and you die. Real life. All the curses that were supposed to come to you will be transferred to your enemies, to Nasrallah, to Ahmenijad, to all the... Haters of, 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 the, of the Jewish nation, they will get everything. Ve'al-sonecha, and those who hate you, that were chasing you. Meaning all the anti-Semites in the world are going to get what you got saved from. It will be transferred to them soon, Be'ezrat Hashem. Ve'ata tashuv, and you will return, ve'shamata bekol Hashem, ve'asita et kol mitzvotav, you will listen to Hashem, and fulfill all His commandments, as... I commanded you today. Okay, this was all directly from the Torah. Now let's go to the Tanakh. Yeshaya, chapter 11, Isaiah. Ve'yatsa choter migeza Ishai. Someone from the descendants of Ishai. Unetzer mishorashav ifre. It's like a root of a, of a, of a tree that begins to bloom. Becomes a tree. That the spirits of Hashem would land on him. A, a, a spirit of wisdom, of knowledge, advice, heroism, that, that means the ability to do everything perfect, to overcome all the desires and all the obstacles. Ve'irat Hashem, and God-fearing, spirit of, of fearing God. And in those days, Gar Zeev in Keves, the wolf and the, and the lamb, will live together. 
and the tiger and the goats will lay next to each other and they will not harm each other in the entire holy land because the land will be full of wisdom to know God how the water cover everything all the land over there in the ocean that's how the world will be covered with wisdom with divine wisdom and at that day Hashem will continue to gather the rest of his nation that left in other countries right from is describing all the areas in the world and will collect all the left over from the nation of Israel into the land of Israel and another place Isaiah chapter 2 Isaiah 2 this is the word and the vision of Yeshayahu ben Amotz al Yehuda in Jerusalem. In the end of days, the, mount, the mountain of God in Jerusalem, there will be the house of Hashem. And the top of the mountains, and nations from all over the world will come to that place, meaning the third temple that will be rebuilt. <coughs> and nations will say to each other, let's go to the mountain of God to the God of Jacob and, will sh and that they should teach us from his ways, meaning the Jews will be light to the nation and will follow his, his path because from Zion the Torah will come out and the word of God from Jerusalem and Hashem will judge all the nations and rebuke the nations and after that they will put their weapon down and they will never use it ever again and no nation will fight each other and no one will learn, will, will learn how to fight there will be no need for it in Ezekiel chapter 36 and I will gather you from the nation and collect you from all the countries and bring you into your land I will multiply the trees and all the fruits of the field I would settle you in the cities we will rebuild all the destruction and the, the empty land will be will be full again as it was empty for a long period of time this has already happened this prophecy already happened you see now Israel is full of Jews and fields and orchards Baruch Hashem. and it will be like heaven and the destroyed city will be rebuilt and the nation that will be around will know I am the God who rebuilt everything and kicked away the emptiness I promise and I kept my promise and I will multiply my nation like sheep and Jerusalem and all the other cities will be full of uh, life again that's how it's going to be Baruch Hashem we see that some of these prophecies already is taking place already and another place it says in Isaiah 52 verse 7 means someone who came to tell us about the salvation to give us good news how beautiful on the mountain, meaning the mountain, the olive mountain of Jerusalem, behind the Kotel, 
How beautiful the legs of the Messiah on the mountain of Jerusalem telling us about peace and giving us good news of salvation and nominating Hashem to be our king again, meaning in reality. And another place it's written, Isaiah, uh, that's the next verse actually in the same chapter, Everyone who look up together will sing from happiness when it will happen. We will be standing in the mountains of Jerusalem and see the Mashiach and everybody, imagine thousands of thousands of people will sing with such happiness. Imagine what a moment it would be. Everybody will sing because we will see with our own eyes the return of God to Zion. Speaking about the resurrection of the dead, it's written in few places. In Daniel chapter 12 verse 2, many of the deceased people that are buried in the ground will rise to life. Some to life of eternity, and some to destruction of eternity. Eternal destruction. Depend who you are. You were Shomer Shabbat or Mechalel Shabbat. If you Mechalel Shabbat, you better start worry. Fast. Before it's too late. Why? Because remember, there are 36 sins in the Torah that have zero tolerance. Other sins, you can do tshuva. And even if you die without tshuva, you are not cut permanently. For instance, if you eat here and there non-kosher food, it's a sin. You get punished for it. But you don't lose your share to the world to come. You don't lose your share to the world to come. You ate something, you made a sin, you made a vera, even you ate pork. You don't lose your share to the world to come. You beat up a person, you don't lose your share to the world to come. You skip a day, you didn't put filin here and there. You don't lose your share to the world to come. You ate without bracha, you did not say if, uh, bracha, birkat amazon. This is all sins. Some from the, from, from directly from the Torah. But uh, it's not such sins that because you did it, you are being cut. However, there are 36 sins that the Torah says that you're going to be cut. The soul is going to be cut permanently. And for instance, being an idol worshiper. Idol worshiper. You worship someone or something that is not God. Someone or something. Why I say someone? Something we understand. A, a statue, people bow down to a statue, that's something. A cow or a sheep, someone bow down to it, that's something. But what does it mean someone? Like the, like the Goyim, Buddha, was some kind of a man, they turned him into a God. That's someone. Also among Jews, you have some Jews with their stupidity or ignorance, I don't know how to call it, they worship the rabbi, whether he's alive, whether he passed already. That's the real God. That's who they're afraid of, and that's who they respect, and they don't even have a minute a year to think about the real God. That's their God. They pray to him, and they hope he's going to set up their children. That's 100% idol worshiping. Those are also idol worshippers. Yes, they are idol worshippers who keep Shabbat strictly and they eat kosher strictly and maybe give tzedakah a lot 
and they learn every day, whatever, they do maybe everything. Maybe they keep all the Torah. Maybe they're more righteous than all of us combined. And in reality, they are idol worshippers 100% like Ravol Be writes in his book, Alishur, that everyone who gives power to anyone besides Hashem is an idol worshipper. Not to talk about bowing down to a chair of your Rebbe or putting a picture on the wall and bow mm-hmm. down to it and all kinds of things that you hear today that your ears wants to fall down from the nonsense that you hear. Unfortunately, that's what's going on today. Some people worship the stars, in the old days at least. There's all kinds of idol worshippers. Those are being cut. It's all correct. Also eating on Yom Kippur, or eating Hametz and Pesach. A lot of people eat spaghetti on Pesach. They eat, uh, they drink beer, they eat bread. A lot, you know, unfortunately, a lot of Jews are not religious. They do these things. They go to vacations, hotel. They give them all kinds of uh, Hametz over there, and they eat. Or even if they eat rice, inside the rice, if they didn't check and what, there's some, some wheat. And the wheat rice in a cooking, and they eat chametz on Pesach. So that's an example of people who do, who does Isore Karet. A lot of forbidden relationship in a Torah, Gilui Arayot, is also Isore Karet. It's also cut for the soul. Right? Also, same-sex marriage or relationship for men and men. It's death penalty and cut for the soul. But the worst out of everything is Chilul Shabbat. Worse than murder, worse than chametz, worse than everything. Chilul Shabbat and idol worshipping is the two worst sins in the entire Torah. <coughs> like the Rambam writes, all other sins that a person makes, commits, keeps him a Jew. A bad Jew, but still a Jew. He's a big thief, still a Jew. Is making horrible scenes with women, with men, with who knows what. Horrible sinner, but still a Jew. Right? Speaks Lashon Aran non-stop, ruining the lives of many people. Horrible human being, but still a Jew. Big mafia guy, shooting people, putting bombs in their car, murdering non-stop people in his life. Horrible, despicable human being, but still a Jew. But two sins make you a non-Jew. Take away your Jewish status from you. One is Chilul Shabbat, and second is Avodah Zarah. You can read in the Rambam. Mechalel Shabbat ve'ovet kochavim u'mazalot arehem kegoim lechol davar. They are 100% like goim. And all the laws that apply to goim apply to these two sinners. Most Jews today are not idol worshippers, Baruch Hashem. Besides some people that decided to worship their own hero, besides them, besides them, I, never, I didn't meet that many idol worshippers. I met once, he lived in Japan, and he was influenced by the Japanese culture, which is also some idols there. But then, Baruch Hashem, I made him Baal Tshuva, and he got rid of all these shtuyot of the Japanese. But most uh, secular Jews, they're not idol worshippers. Some of them believe in God, some of them don't. But they're not worshipping anybody else besides God. They don't believe in anything. At least they're not idol worshippers. But they have a different problems. They are Mechalele Shabbat. Mechalele Shabbat. 
religious Jews, they are Shomer Shabbat, but some of them are idol worshippers. Unfortunately, they mean well, I'm sure they mean well, it's not because they want to rebel against Hashem, no. But the Goim, the Rambam writes, when they started to be idol worshippers, they were searching for God, they didn't want to rebel against God. The Rambam say in the beginning, they told them, in the beginning they told them that uh, the way God runs the world is through the stars. Therefore, they gave a lot of respect to the, to the God that runs the world through the stars. Later on, after a few generations, they already forgot God. <laughs> they only worship the stars and from then on they continue a generation after generation. But they really meant well in the beginning. They meant well. Top, we'll move on. So, the, it will be a wonderful time when some of the people will resurrect. Not everybody resurrect. Some will resurrect to very good life and some to a horrible place. Lo alenu, lo alechem. We don't know exactly when it's going to be. There's no specific date. We know it's going to be in the end of days, which we are already in the end of days. We don't know if it's going to be while the Mashiach would be here, meaning when he just showed up, right away it's going to be resurrection of the dead. Or it may be a few years later, after he already showed up. He may be 20 years later, maybe 40 years later. There's all kinds of guesses. But we don't know for sure. There's no place, it says in the Navi, that it will be exactly such and such years after the arrival of the Messiah. We don't know. So if possible, that it will happen right away. The Mashiach would come, so there will be big war, Gog and Magog. The Gaon of Vilna says there will be 12 minutes. Hashem will wipe out two-thirds of the people in the world in 12 minutes, which is 5 billion people. It's very possible that right after that there will be the resurrection of the dead. Maybe it will be a few years later. We don't know. But we do know that if we will pass and we will be righteous, we will come back to the world. One difference there is, if a person pass on the land of Israel and bury there, it's much better than to pass out of Israel and be buried there. Because when, uh, when the time comes for the resurrection of the dead, nobody can rise out of the Holy Land. Only in the Holy Land. So what will happen to all the righteous people who are buried here in Queens, uh, and uh, Long Island, and in, in, in Monroe over there, in the cemetery of, of Vishnitz and Monsi, there's some tzaddikim buried everywhere. What's going to happen to these tzaddikim? Hashem will, di will dig a tunnel all the way under the ground, under the ocean, all the way to Eretz Israel, and all the bones of all the righteous people from the ground, they will roll into the land of Israel, and they will rise on the land of Israel. <coughs> this is what we saw in this parasha, that Yaakov Avinu <coughs> asked Yosef, do not bury me in the land of Egypt. Why? Three reasons. One reason, one day when Hashem will strike on Egypt, the entire, uh, the entire land will be full of lies. I don't want to be buried in such a place. Second, I don't want 
the Egyptian to turn me into an idol. Because as soon as I arrived to Egypt, it was two years into the hunger. It was supposed to be five more years. As soon as I landed in, a, in a, my feet on the, on the ground of Egypt, the hunger stopped. So right away, the entire land of Egypt already idolized me. I'm such a holy man in their eyes. I'm the father of the man who saved Egypt. I'm a son of a legend, a grandson of a legend. Everybody knows I'm an important person. Once you bury me in Egypt, for sure they will idolize me. I'll be a place of idol worshiping. Make sure it doesn't happen. Take me to Israel. And the third reason is, when the time for the resurrection of the dead will come, I don't want to roll in tunnels. Why? Supposedly it hurts the spirit. It hurt the spirit when the bones will roll. The question that we have to ask, Yaakov, he was in the land of Goshen. That's where the Jews lived. He didn't, didn't move to Cairo. The rest of the Jews, after he passed, they went all over Egypt. Malaret Sotam. That's how the slavery began. When the Egyptians saw Jews everywhere, this guy's a landlord, this guy has a store, this guy is here, this guy's a real estate broker. What is this? Every other person here is a Jew in the power? Judge, lawyer, doctor. What's going on? Look at these houses here. We barely pay the bills. My landlord knock on the door. Hey, Mr. Smith. Yes. Hi, it's Leibovitz. The rent is due. Hey, Mr. Jones. It's Cohen. What's with the rent? It's going crazy. As it is a Safson Eliakov. Imagine when they struggle financially and they see some successful... Uh, <laughs> of course it's a disaster. So once the Jews move all over Egypt, Paro and his advisor had a meeting. Emergency meeting. Sleepy Joe and Hussein Obama and the rest of the Democrats, they're now thinking what to do. How are we going to stop the enemy that lives among us and is growing like crazy? Soon it's going to be a war. Soon it's going to be a war. You're going to see it in the next two, two parashot that we read. There's going to be a war and these Jews will cooperate with our enemies from outside, make a deal with them, we'll help you from inside. When you take over the land, you give us special status. And, uh, and we're going to become slaves. Let's prepare ahead of time. If the Jews will stay in the land of Goshen, nobody will ever bother them. Like it was in the time of Yaakov. Nobody bothered them. Nobody sees you. Why should they go look for you? Ah, you want to come live in my neighborhood? You want to buy every apartment here? You want to buy the buildings? You want to take over companies? You want to become ministers in the government? Oh, the problems begin. The guy sees you, gets angry, is an anti-Semite as it is, it creates a lot of problems. So, only after the Pasuk, Malar Etzotam, only after that the slavery began. But Yaakov, he was in the land of Goshen. And if Yosef would bury him, he would bury him in Goshen. And in Goshen there was no ten plagues. So what was he worried about the ten plagues? It's a big deal. He will be over there. It's not going to be. A, it's not, it's not going to be a problem. Why is he worried? And plus, 
it's uh, it's uh, it's a little bit strange. There are three different reasons. One has, supposedly has nothing to do with the other. One, he doesn't want to roll, right? Second, he does not want to become a god in their eyes to, uh, that they idol him, idolize him. And third, he's worried about the the, the, the sand. What's going to happen? Three different reasons, but they're all connected. Why they connected? Do you know the connection between those three? Yaakov said, when Yosef told him, hey, what do you worry? You can be buried in Goshen. The entire Jewish nation is here. What do you worry about going to Israel now? Don't you want to be buried next to your grandchildren over here? He said, I don't want, because when Hashem will strike on them, it's going to strike on the, on, the, on the sand as well. So Yosef said, but it won't strike the Jews. It goes against the enemies. <laughs> it won't strike in us. Yaakov said, that's exactly the problem. When the Egyptians see that all over Egypt, the sand got hurt, except around my grave, now for sure they make me a god. That's what will make me a god, for sure. You understand? So, conclusion... In the end, why did Yaakov make Yosef swear to him? Because he's the man in power. He's the only one who can actually fulfill this request. Top. One last thing. It's also written in, uh, in uh, Daniel chapter 12. At that time, Yaamod Michael Hasar Agadol. Who is Michael? Michael Sar Israel. Why, why we said, why we said uh, when people give donation, they give one hundred and one dollars. Usually people like to give round numbers, no? Why people give eighteen? Chai. Why twenty-six? Hashem. Fifty-two? Two times Hashem. Or Gimatria Ben. That you want to have a boy. Ben, 52, right? Why 101? Michael. Michael. It should have been 100. Michael. Top. So, Yamod Michael, a star agadol, is a big angel, one of the three angels of the Jewish nation. Aomed al bnei amcha, that will be in charge of the children of Israel. It will be time of stress like never ever before. Think what I'm saying here now. We had a lot of stress in history. Destruction of first temple. Destruction of the second temple. The Greeks. Time of the Greeks. Haman. Times of Haman. Right? Arabs. Ishmael. Pogroms. Holocaust. Should I continue? Already so many tragedies. But there will be one like never before. Meaning even worse than the Holocaust and worse than anything we ever seen. This is written in Daniel 12. Since we became a nation in Matan Torah. Until that day Nothing like that has ever seen before. And will be the total destruction in the world, but the Jewish nation will escape. 
כל הנמצא כתוב בספר. Everyone that is written in a list of Hashem that he deserves to be saved will be able to escape. What does it mean to escape? We will wait and see if we'll be in that list, then we will understand. Verabim, and again, Verabim yeshene afar yakitsu. Many of the deceased people that are buried in the sand will rise to life. Ele lechaye olam, ve'ele lecharafot ve'ledera'on olam. Ve'amaskilim yaziru kazoar arakia. Those who are Talmidei Chachamim, those who know a lot of Torah, they listen to a lot of lectures, they read a lot of books, Gemara, Rambam, Shulchan Aruch, Zohar, all these important books, right? Yaziru, they will shine, shine like diamonds, like the sun. Kezohar Arakia, like the sun is in the, on the top of the sky, how shiny it is, how bright it is, you can't even look at it. That's how those rabbis, Talmidei Chachamin, Talmidei Yeshivot, those who know a lot of Torah, they will glow and, and will shine like the sun. Those who make other Jews learn Torah and become religious, right? will rise like the stars. Will be, you know how the stars, you have lights, lights everywhere, that's how they would be. Le'olam va'ed, for eternity. This is one of the sources I keep telling you, always, always invest all your master money in saving souls. Don't let the Satan divert your attention to other causes. Rabbi, my cousin getting married, my aunt has a birthday, my nephew needs tefillin, everything is important. The synagogue needs money, all important. There's now one cause of Torah and mitzvot that is not important. But just like you have a diamond that worth a hundred million dollars and a diamond that worth five hundred dollars, they're both diamonds, right? Here, two diamonds, it stand right here. One and two, right? Looks alike. Here, four, four carat diamond. Nice. And this one, once you check, Right away, you know, this one is $20 million, and this one is $25,000. What happened? Why this one is millions, this is 25? This one has black dots inside, it's not exactly symmetric. When the person designed it, was a little bit drunk. Maybe he didn't have nights of sleep the night before. You understand? So, you know, one little defect brings 90% of the value already, right there. Same thing over here. You need to know where to invest your money. If you came to this world, the Zohar say, to suffer 70 years running after one person and turn him to be a servant of God, keep Torah mitzvot, one, after 70 years. Seven years, Rabotai, suffer, you run, you bought him, you paid for him, you begged him, I don't know what you did for him. And in the end, you returned him to be connected to Hashem. It was worth your entire life. Everything else, whatever happened, it's, you already achieved a huge achievement. One only. It's not so difficult. That reminds me that, oh Hashem, this week, my second book is coming out. It will, it's already in Hebrew in Israel. It will be soon in English in a week or two. 
we're finishing the translation now. This book will be called Divine Information and it will be all proofs, everything. Not only just that the written and oral Torah, it's all divine. The prophets, the Gemara, Chazal, the purpose of life, the significance of, of the Avodat Hashem. It would, be, it would leave no choice. If you read it, you got to become religious. That's it. It answers all the questions that people ask. Every one, two, all the questions that everybody asks, all in one book. And Bezrat Hashem, that would be a great opportunity. We have my first book, which is just as good. It's a preparation for eternal life. And we have it in Russian and in Spanish. And we, I just announced on Hanukkah that anyone who wants to get 50 books and up, not a, before it used to be 100, 50, will get 50% off. Instead of $20 per book, it will be $10 per book. So you can get 50 books for $500 and give it to 50 families. Russian, Spanish, Hebrew, and English. Four, four main languages. You know, you can give it to a lot of people as gifts. Here, I bought you a book. person would read the book. It changes entire outlook on life. Everything. Everything he believed in, he began to understand there is a God and there, there is a purpose. And I'm in a test. And there is life after death. And I'm going to pay for my own doing. They begin to understand. Until now, ah, religious believe in this, and I believe in this. It's his word against my word. But after they read this book, there's no such thing, his word against my word. It's only one word. Question is, do you want to change or not? But you cannot argue. The one thing I promise you, after you read this book, you can't argue anymore. Why? Because whatever argument you make, you see the answers right there. So, to conclude, so... It says that those who influence others to become tzaddikim, matzdikei arabim, making the other one tzaddikim, will shine like stars for eternity. Do you want a higher reward from that, or it's good enough for you? This is the words of God, not my words. <laughs> if I promise it to you, big deal. I promise, he promise, he promise, everyone promise. The word of, this is Daniel 12, starting from verse 1, and, and this one is verse 3. Daniel 12, verse 3. You can read about it. What is the fourth verse? Vata Daniel, and you, Daniel, Hashem said to the prophet, cover, cover these words and seal it in a book until... The time of the end. And many people will run around to search and understand this myth, this secret. Veraiti ani Daniel. You know, then Daniel's conclude this prophecy, how Hashem gave him all this prophecy. Ad matai ketz It's actually so the vision of the end. So the vision of the end. The book of Daniel is the hardest book in the entire Tanakh. We don't, yeah, we, it's Naramek, first of all, and we don't understand probably even 5% of it. Yes, we have commentaries, we have great Mefarshim, but it's 
such a difficult book to understand. But that's exactly the point. Hashem wanted it to be like this. Khatum, covered. It's, co- it's covered. When the end will come, everything will become piece of cake. We'll all understand everything. But the next pasuk is many people will be cleansed, cleansed, meaning they, have, they were very dirty, but they will be cleansed. Their soul will be cleansed from all their sin. And the wicked people will not understand. The Talmidei Chachamim will understand. They will understand. Everyone waited. Ashraf, how lucky he is that he did not lose hope. So we see Rabotai. I only gave you about 10 verses altogether. There's more verses in the Tanakh that speaks about the salvation in the end of days. But we don't need more than that. You already see there's going to be days of Messiah. You know it's going to be Gog and Magog. You know it's going to be resurrection of the dead. And you know that the righteous people, it will pay off big time to be a tzaddik. People that think that, uh, ah, I'm not Shomer Shabbat. And Hashem is nice with me. He's nice to me. My business is booming. Everything is working out. The children come for Shabbos meal with the car on Shabbat. We turn our television on, we're happy, we're healthy. They forget one thing, that if Hashem starts with someone, boom, the problems comes in non-stop. One day, next day, next. Person goes crazy, I see it all the time. Everything turns around, boom, this, that, this. Person loses his mind. Why? Remember one thing. If a person is wicked and he doesn't keep mitzvot, and Hashem make his life go smooth with no sicknesses, no money lost, no problems, no challenges, everything working well. He is the most miserable person in the universe. No one is more miserable than him. Why? If a person being punished, problems, accidents, money losses, bankruptcy, the problem with the, with the child, a lot of different things. Then you know HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not give up on that son. Why? When a father loves his son, he's strict with him. One smack, one punishment, again, screaming, begging, pushing, don't come here, don't go, don't... There is still a battle here. If he lets him do whatever he wants, okay, do whatever he wants, leave me alone, go. Do whatever he wants, don't call me, I don't care, goodbye. Take your money and go, I don't want to see you. That's very bad. Because, you know, this person is a lost case. That means when he dies, he has no shot to the world to come. Yesterday I got a call from someone from Beverly Hills that they heard me saying what I just said in a different lecture a few years ago. They got very upset. And they said the rich people of Beverly Hills, they get very offended when someone tells them that there is such a concept that if you were very wealthy in this world, and you did not keep Shabbat, when you die you have no shirt to the world to come because God already paid you in this world. They get very angry or upset or sad, or whatever you want to call it, I don't know exactly the right word. So I said to this woman that told me that, I said to her, I don't understand, I gave the source over there. 
Why didn't you just open the Torah and read it for, read it for them? Huh? The question is why? Why didn't you just open in the end of, uh, of Parashat Vaitchanan, the last three verses, word by word, that Hashem say to the wicked people, I pay in this life to get rid of them. Give them nice homes, give them nice cars, give them whatever they, for the few mitzvot they kept. Why? Rashi writes over there. Because they don't have a share to the world to come. So when, when and where are they going to get the reward for the few mitzvot they kept? Every Jew almost have mezuzah. Almost every Jew circumcises boys and gives tzedakah here and there. And maybe his son puts tefillin in a bar mitzvah. Or a few things he did in his life. Maybe he does kiddush. You don't find secular people who never did any mitzvah. There's no such thing. Almost everyone did something. It's enough. One time the Chabadni came to his store and begged him to put tefillin. And, ah, leave me alone, you now. You're knowing me now. One time for me, one time. Okay, okay, one time for you, and he put that feeling. That's already a big reward. Shh, Benji, Benji, enough of this. So, the question is, what reward this person's going to get? He has no shot to the world to come. So when Hashem was going to pay him for the few mitzvot he did? The answer, it's written in the end of Parashat Vaitchanan. I told her, just read. You don't have to say the rabbi say. Just tell them, you know English? Here, read in English. It's word by word. It does not leave any choice. You read it and you see the truth. Ah, you get offended because you don't like what you just heard. It's my problem. It's your problem. It's not my problem. I only told you. I gave her an example. I said to her, when the FedEx guy brings you a, a lawsuit, Someone is suing you. The FedEx poor guy showed up, Mr. Smith. John Smith showed up. How are you doing, ma'am? It's for you. You open it up. You are invited on this and this date to the Supreme Court. Ten million dollar lawsuit against you and your business. So imagine she take a tomato, throw it in John Smith's face. Get out of here, you low life. What, 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 what did I do? What happened? Why are you giving me such thing? Chatsuf, you have such chutzpah. How dare you? What do you want? I'm only doing my job. I'm a delivery guy. One day I bring you a check. The next day I bring you a lawsuit. You don't give me a kiss when I bring you a check. Don't spit at me when I give you a lawsuit. I'm a puppet. You know? A puppet, you move it left and right. Nobody punch the puppet. Why are you making noise? It's not a puppet. I'm a delivery guy. I told them the same thing you tell them. What do you got? You angry at me? Be angry at yourself. That's what's written. Ah, so if you don't believe, by the way, people that get upset, it's a good sign. Why? Then you know they believe in Hashem and they believe in the Torah. I know people that don't care. We talk to them. Okay, where was I? Uh, let me make a phone call. Oh, I'll be with you in a five minutes. He doesn't care about that. Then, oh, wow, what an end you're going to have. Look what's written here. Look. doesn't care. If a person gets angry at you, and you know, he believes 100%. It happened to me in Belgium, in Antwerp. I gave a lecture about Shabbat on Saturday night. Motzei Shabbos. Big shul. In Antwerp, hundreds of people, and I see when I speak about Mechalel Shabbat that has a bigger punishment than a murderer, 
and that even to come on with a cart to the shul on Shabbat is not permitted. And I see this Gruzini, Georgian, Virion like this, big guy, sitting like this, and I see he's fuming. I say to myself, ten, nine, eight, <laughs> my life, seven seconds to my life, six, two, one, zero, boom, he got up. <laughs> wow, what's going to happen now? But instead of jumping at me, he went on the side, made a left, and went out to the door to the hallway. I got saved. Okay, let's continue. But then after about a few seconds, I begin to hear shouting and yelling in the hallway, screaming. It's hard to talk and at the same time to understand what's going on. But I know something bad is happening out there. When the lecture finished, one guy came, young guy, said, oh, Abba, you don't know what's going on out there. <laughs> He's waiting for me. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Shvili is waiting for me outside. Oh, no, it's going to shock me. Then I say, well, what happened? He say, this guy that came out in the middle of the lecture, he has a very big argument with the rabbi of the shul. I already understand what's going on. Probably he wants to kill him why he invited me. <laughs> That's probably what's happening. So I ask him, what's the argument about? So the guy said to me, he came to the rabbi. And he said to the rabbi, where did you get this crazy speaker to come here and tell us all this nonsense? He said that the punishment of someone that drives on Shabbat is worse than the punishment that someone that killed people? How? Where is he getting this chutzpah to talk like this? I come to the synagogue with a car and he's telling me I'm worse than someone who killed someone? Lucky me, the rabbi over there was a very nice, soft, politically correct figure, but at least he was a Talmud Chacham that is honest. Not everyone is honest today. Some people, they worry about their name, reputation, they're not going to tell you the truth. They don't want you to get angry at them and start speaking against them. So they will shove it under the rug. No, don't worry, it's not but the rabbi over there, he said, well, what can I do that he told you what's written in the Gemara and in the Shulchan Aruch? Ma? <laughs> it's written? It's true? Yes! What do you think happened next? Instead of choking me, <laughs> it choked him almost. Seven years I come here with the car every Shabbat. You saw me every Shabbat and not one time you told me that I'm making such a sin. How can it be? It's all your fault. <laughs> That's what happened. He woke up, this guy. One thing for sure, he doesn't go to shul anymore with the car after this. Either he doesn't go at all or he comes by foot. But for sure, after this, he got the point. Right? That's the way people are. When you show them the price they will have to pay, they get it. You don't, they may get it, they may not get it. Some people don't need threats. They still, some people, they say, put mask. They put mask before they get penalty. Most people only put mask after they show on TV that it's 500 shekels for someone who won't put. They got the point. Restaurants opened. 
until they say it's $15,000 fine. They closed. Some restaurant accumulated more than $100,000 in fines. Few times they got caught. Maybe it's worth it for them to keep it open. Some stores in Israel, every day they get a hundred dollar fine, 350 shekel, to put tables and chairs on a sidewalk. Every day the guy comes, and every day, every day like this routine, he comes, gives them a ticket. I asked one time, what, every day? Don't worry. One table already covered me the ticket, the rest is all extra profit. It's worth it. But what would happen if the guy would tell him next week, if I come and you still have those chairs out, we shut down your restaurant permanently. What do you think would happen then? You will still have chairs on the, on the street? You won't. Why? When people understand there is a price, they stop their sins. That's it. You can say, I don't like it, it's intimidating, it's forcing, say whatever you want. First of all, who says it's bad to force something on someone? If your friend now is in depression and he wants to jump from his window and committed suicide, and you grabbed him by force and threw him on the floor and, I don't know, tie him to a bed and he cannot move. For three hours, he's, uh, then he's going to say, it's not fair, I don't like this, it's kfia. It's kfia. What is this? It's a free world. Why are you forcing me? I don't like this force. You should have talked to me. And I have to make my own decision if I want to jump or no. Make sense or no? Be quiet before you, go, you won't get another punch <laughs> for your stupidity. So we force our children to do certain things. Why? Because we know it's going to destroy their life. Right? Right or wrong? 100%. Only when it comes to religion, people hate to do things by force. Everything, you can deal with this. But when it comes to religion, all of a sudden it's illegal to fear. You fear Corona, fine. You fear this, fine. Fear the Mafia, fear the IRS, fear the Army, fear Iran, fear everything. When you tell a person, fear your punishment from Hashem, already has complained. Why fear from Hashem, it's not legal? Fear from Como and de Blasio and the rest of the idiots, it's fine. <laughs> right? Obviously, you're afraid of it. And you live according to the rules. Well, when it comes to your creator who gives you oxygen, all of a sudden it's not fine. Tons of complaints. Yaakov Avinu made one complaint about Hashem in his life. And it was indirectly. He didn't come to Hashem and say, I'm tired of you, look what you're doing to me, I can't take it anymore. Nothing like that. Yaakov said to Paro, when he asked him, how old are you? He looked very old. He said, ah, I'm younger than my parents, and my life were full of misery. Me'at ve'ra'im, shneot chayai, shnei chayai, yemei chayai. My life were short and bad. How many letters were in the verse that Yaakov said to Paro? One sentence, 33 letters. For each letter that he came out of his mouth, he lost one year of his life. 
33 years of his life he lost for that complaint alone. He lived 147 instead of 180 years that he should have lived. 33 years of life. Do you know how many mitzvot Yaakov Avinu lost? You know, 33 years of life. You know how many trillions of mitzvot you can do? Just the Torah he learns alone is who knows how many billions and all the other things. And oof, unbelievable. How many billions of mitzvot he lost to take with him to the next world for one complaint. And we, we really complain, not indirectly. Here maybe Yaakov was afraid of Ainara. Maybe he said to Paro, uh, how old are you? Oh, my, uh, my life was short and horrible. He's afraid that Paro will give him Ainara. You know how these people? How are you? Are you pregnant? Oh, no, 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 no. You will know. You will see when it happens. You know? <laughs> Why they go like this? Hamsa, Hamsa. <laughs> By the way, it's all nonsense. This Hamsa, Hamsa. Shtuyotako. <laughs> There's one thing that can say from my inner eyes when you pray in the morning, Birkot HaShachar, you have to have in mind, Ratzileni, Mi Chavera, Mi Pegra, Mi Ainara, Mi Lashonara. You have to have in mind. Not just to read it while you're drinking your coffee. Ah, delicious coffee. New flavor. Your mind is in Brazil now. You have to have in mind what you're saying. Save me from Ainara. That's it. And by the way, Ainara, there is an easy way out of it. Ainara can be critical, can damage you very much, and cannot touch you, depending on what you're going to do. If you focus on it and obsess with that, it comes to you. If you say, I don't care about it, I'm only afraid of Hashem, I'm afraid of my sins, I'm not afraid of what people think, and they're jealous, and they wish me bad, does not concern me. I'm not afraid of Ainara. I'm afraid of Hashem, and afraid of my sins. That's what I have to worry about. So if I'm not Shomer Shabbat, I'm shaking. If I'm not davening like the way I should, I'm shaking from fear. I'm not giving enough tzedakah, I'm worried. I did not raise my children correctly, and now look what they became. I'm petrified. Ainara, not in my school. Don't waste my time with this. The Gemara says, someone that is makpid on it, it comes to him. Someone is not, it doesn't touch him. So <laughs> the Gemara just told you an easy way out. Instead of fearing this, Fear really what you should. Sometimes I have people over the years, they come, Rabbi, we must talk to you after the lecture. Tov, they come to the lecture, you see two secular people, a mother and a daughter, both of them wear pants, short sleeves, they're not religious, they're not mothers. You ask them, Shomer Shabbat? No. You eat kosher? Sometimes. You do this, no, you do this, not. You went to yeshiva, no, I'm in public school. What did they come to talk about at 11.30 at night? They had to sit and suffer three hours listening to me. Three hours. From 8 until 11. And then we dive in our feet. It's already 11.20. And you see how they move, they're nervous. Wow, they Please, madam, have a seat. What, what, how can I help you? Oh, bye. We have a big problem. What? 
my sister friend, she's very bad woman. She has such bad eye. Every time she came to our house, I'm so worried, I don't sleep at night. I'm afraid from her eye. What should I do? How should I get safe from her eye nara? That's when I ask my question. You shomer Shabbat? No. You dress mothers? No. You keep kashrut? No. You pray? No. You give tzedakah? No. So you have 500 dead penalties and cuts for the soul pending in your case, waiting for a trial. And you worry about your sister friend? Maybe she will kill you with her eye? Rabbi, I know she put kishuf on me. Look, my daughter is so pretty. And her daughter look like monkey. Every time she see my daughter, she's so pretty. I have to go all day with the salt in the house. <laughs> I'm laughing. This is what I have to hear. <laughs> How dumb we can be. That's the question. Forget about this woman. It's all of us. We can be so stupid. You have a nuclear bomb in your backyard and you worry about uh, losing five dollars somewhere. This is more or less what it is. What are you worried about things that are the last things on the list? Worry about what would really make you lose everything. This is the way the Satan is confusing us. Ay, 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 ay. What can I tell you? Tov. This parasha is parasha stuma. You have parasha ptucha and you have parasha stuma. You know, when you write a Sefer Torah, you have, uh, you have in a Sefer Torah 304,805 letters. Each parasha Each parasha has X amount of verses, some long, some short. Between one chapter to another, you leave a little space. This is all oral Torah. How to write a Sefer Torah, how to make the ink, what thing you use to write, how you write the letters, how much space you leave from the beginning of each row and to the end. It's all Hashem gave us in Mount Sinai. You can write a Sefer Torah exactly the same order of 304,805 letters and the Sefer Torah is totally not kosher. Why? You did not leave enough space where you were supposed to. I'll give you an example. As far as the Mezuzah, you have two chapters inside. שמע ישראל השם אלוקינו השם אחד ואהבת את השם אלוקיך and the second one והיה אם שמוע תשמעו והיה the Rambam writes you have to leave space from the beginning of the row when you begin with the vav והיה you have to leave space enough to write nine letters if you open a mezuzah actually I have one in my car, and I have an open one. I bought for someone. I don't see him here, but it's right on a, on a seat next to me. I will show you what I'm talking about in a second. So, if you don't leave enough space, 
you write the same words, the same letters, everything. But you don't leave enough room from the beginning of the row until you begin. It's not kosher. The mezuzah. You pay $200 on a high class mezuzah, it's never been kosher. Here, I give you a perfect example. Look at this. I never ever brought an open mezuzah for anyone. But this mezuzah is so perfect that on purpose I kept it open. But the guy didn't show up. But I just want to show you what I'm talking about. Here, look. You see this? Took him about three, four hours to write it. And if you have, you have the Shema Israel in the first, in the beginning, and then the second, the second parasha, Ve'aya, you see the space? One, two, three, nine letters where the Vav is. If this Vav would be here, it's not kosher. Why? You did not leave enough space. What do you care now? What do you care? It's the same letters. Wow. It did not change the meaning. It's the part from the Torah. It's just show you how deep Judaism is. One thing that looks completely minor, completely minor. Uh, uh, by the way, that's already a proof that everything we do is divine. Because if it would be man-made laws, no human bid would care if there is space or not. Not one person in history would care how much space you leave from the beginning of the row until you, are, you begin to write. The opposite. People start right from the beginning. They don't leave space. This is just to show you that this second parasha, it's called parasha stuma because it doesn't start in the beginning. It starts in the middle of the row. Same thing over here. Parashat Vayechi, the Mefarshim are speaking and asking why this parasha in the Torah is parasha stuma. Stuma means closed. Tucha means open. The answer, Rashi, Rashi asks, Lama parasha zostuma? Right? Meaning, why you did not leave space between the end of parashat vayigash, the previous parasha, to the beginning of parashat vayichi, like you normally do in other parashot in the Torah? And the answer is because Yaakov passed in this parasha. And the Gemara is teaching us, Nistemu enehem velibam shel Yisrael mitzarot ashi'ebud. Once Yaakov passed, the hearts and the eyes of the Jewish nation was closed, blocked. Why? From the stress and the problems of the slavery. Very interesting. I only have one problem with this. One, one, one serious problem. How many years after Yaakov passed, the slavery began? Huh? 107 years later. What does it have to do now with the pass of Yaakov? Ah. So the question is, what are we talking here about? What kind of slavery? There is another reason. Let me give you the second reason. What's the second reason? The second reason comes from Rabbeinu Bechaye. And he says, no, the, the, the second reason it says that, now, Shebikesh Yaakov legalot et Yaakov 
ask all his sons to come around his bed before he passed. And he wanted to describe to them the end of days. How is it going to be when Mashiach come? And when? And when he was about to start with his speech, Hashem confused him and he lost his vision. He lost his Ruach HaKodesh. Why? Why didn't Hashem want Yaakov to tell them the date and the end? Because if humanity would know the day of salvation, what generation it will be, and how it's going to be, and all that. Everyone will already lose his free choice, free will. Why? Because what's the rush? I have time, another 40 years. Ah, let me enjoy New Year's Eve party. Let me go to Manhattan and pay $50 to enter a stupid club and go to a Chinese restaurant, eat chicken with dogs and cat sauce. You saw the picture this week was circulating on WhatsApp? They show four presidents in the world. <laughs> Sleepy Joe with his dog. Yes. Some other two leaders with their dog, and the Chinese president with his dog in his pita. <laughs> they show three presidents hugging their dogs, and then they show the Chinese uh, president holding a bread with meat inside, meaning they're eating dogs. That's the joke. In Thailand, in China, in places like this, they eat dogs on a daily basis. Cats and dogs and rats, they eat it. So a person say, let me do whatever I want, I eat whatever I want, I... and six months before Mashiach would come, I'll take all the money I have, I buy millions of CDs, USBs, books, and I go from morning to night, I organize a team, I pay the money, we go to every Jew on earth, we give them CDs, we pay the money, we do everything we can. I'm learning Torah, I'm waking up at four in the morning, I pray all day, I learn Tehillim, I watch my eyes, I smash the phone a million times, boom, to pieces. I'm going to be the Nura Rashbi. Such a bad tshuva. It's only six months. Well, we already did seven years of sins. Six months? And you'll be a big tzaddik. The Mashiach come. Wow. What about the seven years of sins? It's gone. So what do you need the world for? You know what it's like? You know all these basketball games? It takes forever. Three hours. Always two minutes before the end. 95-95. What do you wasted all this time? Just jump to the last two minutes. It's always like this. Just skip to the last two minutes. Two minutes. Whoever's going to win and finish. Well, dragging and he, he shoot the basket, he shoot the basket, he shoot the basket. Just skip to the last five minutes, make it quickly, five minutes game and finish. Ah, how are you going to sell tickets? You have to, okay. So, Baruch Hashem, so Yaakov wanted to tell them the, the, the end of the world and Hashem closed it, he couldn't see. 
That, this part, you understand why the parasha is Tumar, because Hashem Satan from Yaakov not to see, but with, the, with Yaakov passed and the slavery began, Nistam libam shel Yisrael mitzarat ha-shibut sheitkhilu l'shabdam, Rashi writes. They actually started to torture them. That part I didn't understand. I don't know. It will be only much, much, much later. If you want to say that it was a spiritual shibud, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. When Yaakov passed, they started to move to, the, to live in Egypt. And that second, Hashem actually decreed that it's going to start. Tov, it could be. Tov. Yaakov, before he passed, Hashem gave him one final strength. He was able to sit on the bed. The Gaon Mivilna says, the visit of Yosef contributed to Yaakov getting the last strength and was able to sit. Because before he couldn't sit anymore. He was very sick already. The Gemara, Chazal say in Masechet Nedarim, page 39, the Gemara say, Kol HaMevaker Chole, everyone that visits a sick person takes one-sixtieth of his sickness, meaning 1.6%. 1.6% you take. So it's very good. So how many people we need to go to visit the patients to get him completely cured? Huh? 60 people. What's the problem? Make a team of 60 Hasidim. That's their job. You have Hasidim, they have Gmach. There is a wedding, they come, they juggle, they dance, right? They don't know the Chatan and Kala. Somebody published in a community there's Chatan and Kala and there's nobody to make them happy. In less than 10 minutes, sh- 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 they show from everywhere. Juggling, this, with the bike. There's more than one already. Huh? plenty. So, what's the problem? Let's make a gmach of 60 tzaddikim. Every day they go to the hospital from one room to another. Hello? They come here. What's your name? Moshe Cohen, Moshe Cohen, Shkoyach, he should be healthy. And they move to the next one, and like this, they cure the whole world. No, here you go. Huh? Nobody will be sick. If everyone takes 1.6, it's fantastic. No? That's not how it goes. First one comes, and he took 1.6 out. How much is left? 98.4. Next one, take 1.6 from the 98.4. Not from the 100. So then you need thousands of people. It's always going to be. But you will find that when you come to visit someone in a hospital, you actually see how you give him the strength. I see when I call my own mother. The first minute or two of the conversation, she is 80% finished. It's not easy to be a widow after you've been married more than 50 years to a person, he passed and you stay alone. Your two sons are in America. You have one daughter busy with her kids. You're basically alone for two years. Automatically, you, uh, you lost desire to live. I speak to her five minutes, you have to see how she's laughing and happy. So, oh, Baruch Hashem, you came back to life. And she says, 
because you called, you gave me matzav ruach. Meaning, to make a rap, you have to be on the phone with her all day. If it was possible. Why is it? That's the way people are. When they sick mentally, when they sick physically, either way. Because physical sickness comes from mental sickness. And if you don't believe it, see what happened when you're sad and depressed. How many times you get sick? Flu, cold. Why? Your, your immune system becomes very weak. When you're sad and you're weak mentally. The, your immune system, happy people, people that learn a lot, their immune system is amazing. Bli Ainara Rav Chaim Kanievsky is 90 something years old. He got corona. The next day everything went away. When you're 20, 30, okay, we're not afraid of corona. But once you pass 60, you're in a very serious risk. Right? When you're 90, it's very big risk. So many people got it and they never made it. Not when your mind is fully in Torah and holiness. You're full of happiness, internal happiness. Your immune system in the 90s can work better than a 20 years old guy that is always sad and worry. So you see, Shlomo HaMelech said that anger kills a person. Anger kills you from inside. Sadness. Sadness makes Hashem leaves you. If Hashem sees you sad, you're not happy from your situation, the Shekhinah leaves you, leaves you. Why? Because when you're sad or angry, Hashem leaves you. That's why a prophet, once he becomes sad, he has no more prophecy. Once he gets angry, he loses prophecy. Why? Because you're not supposed to be sad. A Jew is not supposed to be sad. Then you ask yourself, wait a minute, what is this? How can you even be happy? When you look at the world, you see what happened to the Jewish people. You see how close to 80% of them have no connection to Hashem. No Shabbat, no modesty, no mitzvot. Someone told me today that there are a lot of Jews who light Christmas tree in their living room. In America, in Russia, even in Israel. So when you see the situation of the Jewish people went so bad, and you see what happened to the girls of today's generation, and you see intermarriage is more than 70% in most countries, and you see the corruption in the government and what's happening, and you see the corona, and you see the enemies, and you see Iran, and you see Sleepy Joe taking over. Give me one reason to be happy. You can't, get, you can't marry your sons, you can't marry your daughters. It's such a horrible situation in the world today. With what's going on in the Shiduch crisis, and everything's about money now, and... Terrible, much terrible. If you're a public figure, you cannot be happy one minute a year from what you see. Impossible. Impossible to be happy. Can't be happy. Why? All day you see what's happening. You can't believe. You just cannot believe that people went to such a low level. It's hard to believe. Then you ask yourself, what reason I have to be happy? So the answer is, the only one 
that can reach happiness today in the world? The only one. No one in the world can reach happiness. Besides people that sit non-stop and learn Torah and they are totally disconnected from the world. They don't have phone, no internet, they never listen to the news, they don't have television, they don't know who the prime minister is, they don't know the government collapsed, they don't know Hussein Obama, they don't know anyone. They just know Gemara and Rambam and Rashi and Tosfot and Shulchan Aruch. That's all their life is. Nothing else. They have strong emuna in Hashem. Hashem performs miracles for them on a daily basis because the amount of money they make is not enough to pay 20% of their expenses when the month begins. But every month, same miracle and another miracle and another miracle and another miracle. And that's how they live and that's how they raise children and that's somehow how they marry them against all odds. But they are totally inside the Torah. Totally inside the Torah. Sometimes I call, I, I speak to my rabbi in Israel, telling him about certain things. I see that he has no idea what I'm talking about. Nothing. Like he doesn't know Trump, he doesn't know Sleepy Joe. None of these things. Never heard of them. He's so into the Torah that from his, uh, from his question, you see that, uh, fill me up. What are you talking about? I said to him, wow, it's such a horrible gzera. He asked me, what gzera? I say to him, wow, uh, Trump, Trump lost the presidency and now this uh, sleepy Joe taking over. He has no idea what I'm talking to him about. He didn't know if I'm talking about America or Israel and why you even care about this. He doesn't know what I want from him. I had to explain to him about these lefties and this, the, the, the Democrats and how wicked they are and what they are promoting. So in the end... When, you, when you're so much into Torah, in the end, you say, no, no, so, you know, it's all Hashem runs the world. Why do you so worry about it? There's a different way to look at the world. 99% of the time of the people today is what? Fighting about vaccines. That's all. Why did you come to the world? Full month! Five million articles he sends to prove that he shouldn't take the vaccine. And his friend, five million articles why you must take the vaccine. Okay, but there's other things in life. No. Until I couldn't take it. There's one guy in Israel. When I met him, he used to talk divrei Torah. Now, only shtuyot. Only conspiracy. I couldn't take it anymore. Say to him, listen, listen. You totally lost it. I gave him such a recording on WhatsApp. He, was, he got the shock of his life. I told him, you don't realize the Satan grabbed you, choked you, destroyed you, cut you to pieces, and he still didn't realize it. Look what you're wasting your entire day on as a shtuyot. How many hundreds of articles you send me about this stupid vaccine already? What happened to your Torah? So listen, as an advice I'm giving you now, Get rid of this phone. Quickly go into yeshiva. Three months. Don't ask a question about vaccine, about nothing. Sit and learn Torah three months. Get rid of this Satan. He's choking you. He's, he's drowning you. Baruch Hashem, after he got over the shock, he started to send me now only divrei Torah. No, no more vaccine from him. Aragoti. My whole phone is full from his articles already. Enough with this.
yeah, yeah. So anyway, Yosef visit and he made Yaakov, gave Yaakov his strength. Yaakov sat on a bed. Hamita. How much is Hamita in numeric value? 59. And before that he said, It's 60 in numeric value. First pasuk, 60. Next one, already 59. Why? He took 160 out. Rav Simcha Bunem Mipashischa, the big Hasidish Tzadik, Talmid Chacham Gaon. In the last years of his life, he became blind. They brought his grandchildren on Erev Yom Kippur to him to get a blessing from him. They hugged them and kissed them. And this is what he said. By Yitzchak, we find that he became blind when he said to Yaakov, serve the boys to me, meaning bring them closer to me. To me. And uh, I want to kiss them, you know, I want to kiss them, to fill them up with my hands because he can't see. And with Yaakov, it said, Yaakov also is not seeing now because he's old. And Yosef is bringing his two sons, and Yaakov is hugging them and kissing them. And why is it? Why blind people need to hug and kiss and to touch? Why? He wants to see if they have hair or they're bald? What, is, what difference does it make? Why? I want to know how big is their nose. What is he going to get by touching them? Huh? When you look at a person, you look at his eyes, you know if it's a tzaddik or rasha, if you have Ruach HaKodesh. You see how he walks, you know if he's a tzaddik or rasha. You see how he moves when he talks, you know if he has confidence or not. You see if he's lying or saying the truth. There's a lot of things you can know by looking at him. Body language, reaction, putting the hands like this, all kinds of things. But when you touch him, how, what are you going to know? Well, okay, let's say you have straight hair, so then what? Let's say you touched him and he's bald, no? so then what? You touch his stomach, very skinny. Touch his stomach, fat. What, what do you get by that? What do you get by touching a person? If you say he wants to be Moroccan and hug and kiss all day, no problem, it's good. They're warm, nice people, they love to hug. At Moroccan shul, all day like this, hugging, kiss. I have a friend, a barber, Moroccan, Every customer who comes to his barber shop in Monsi, 500 kisses he gets before he gets a haircut. Why? This person is full of Avat Israel. He loves people so much. This is the way he is. Then you have people like dead fish. You're going to come 500 times to them, barely they say hello to you. You walk in the street, you say to them, Good Shabbos. <laughs> no, what can you do? So you got to give them the benefits of the doubt. Maybe they're in the middle of a sugiah, bagmara. They're really not here. Toh, baruch Hashem. Aval, you have two kinds of people. You have very warm, friendly people who love to hug and kiss, right, in families. And then you have people that are called the Zeiss. That's their nature. But is this what we're talking here about? That Yaakov is a warm person, he wants to hug the children? When a person loses 
his sense, his vision, the only way to communicate with another person is through contact. When you have a vision, eye to an eye is direct physical contact. When you look at someone's eyes, two eyes looking at each other, already their souls having connection. But if their eyes cannot see, then you, know, you cannot make connection through distance. The only way to, to make connection is shaking hands, hugging, kissing. There's no other way. When you see, you can make connection through looking at someone from far, or you can also hug and kiss. It also makes connection. But when you're blind, the only alternative is just through touch, through contact. So, Very good. Overall, a person has five senses. Four of them in the head, one of them in the hands, touching. The other four, it's in the, ah, in the head. Eyes, nose, mouth, and ears. Right? What? Looking, smelling, tasting, and hearing. And touching is the hands. And the tefillin that you put on the head, you have four departments. And in the hand, one department. Meaning, I'll tell you what it means. You see this parchment over here in the tefillin? It's not that wide. It's very narrow. Much, much narrow. It looks like a long belt. And it's... Uh, you have, in the filling you have four of those are folded and the, the separation. One, two, three, four. In each one, inside, before they close the filling you have one chapter of the Torah inside. And it's wrapped with a string that comes from the cow, like some kind of a ligament. It looks like a fishing rod. A vein. It could be a vein. They tie it. They make a knot. And they push it inside gently, not to rip it. You have to know how to do it. And it's divided to four different parchments. But in the hand, all four chapters written on one cloth. No four pieces. One. Why is it? Over here, one for each sense. Eyes, nose, mouth, and ears. And here, it's only one sense in the hand. That's why it's all on one cloth. Otherwise, why over here it's one cloth? Put over here also one cloth. The answer is for that. The Gaon Mivilna is talking now about the blessing that Yaakov gave to his grandchildren, and we'll finish, I think, right here. The Gaon Mivilna says like this, He blessed the children that they should multiply like the fish. Fish? Why fish? Who say that fish give birth more than other animals? Maybe there's other animals who every time they give birth it's too many, much more than fish. Why fish? The answer fish, it's covered with water always. So you can see it. 
Everything that is covered has blessing in it. It's not fleshy. It does not attract Ainara. The Gemara say that Hashem will bless your grain in your barns, meaning in your storages. Not in the field. Why? Because in the field, everyone who passes by puts his eye around it. But when it's hidden in the back, in a, in a barn, in a storages, that's where the blessing will be. Why? Because it's covered from the eyes of the people. In the old days, when someone had a field, they tried to do, put a wall or something that the people will not be able to look. Because everyone who comes puts his eye around it. Oh, such a big field. Oh, so much fruit. Oh, they put Ainara in it. But remember, what's the solution for Ainara? Just don't believe in it, and that's it. Can't deny Ainara, because the Gemara said that Ainara exists and hurt people. But if you are from the descendants of Yosef, Ainara cannot touch you. You have a special blessing. But if you're not, just don't believe in it and don't think about it too much. Focus on doing chua every day, that's much, much more important. So the Gaon Mivilna is talking about the bracha, This blessing was given to Ephraim and Menashe only when they were sitting inside the land. Eretz Nachalatam, not before, right? When we count the tribe of Israel in the desert, we don't see the tribe of Ephraim and Menashe are larger than other tribes. Meaning the blessing of Yaakov did not get in effect yet. Only when they actually got their land in the land of Israel, we find in the book of Joshua, after the Hamisha Chumshet Torah, it's Sefer Yoshua, that the children of Yosef multiply. The children of Yosef, meaning Ephraim and Menashe, they told Joshua, Why you gave us only one land? We are much bigger than everyone. That's the blessing of Yaakov. As soon as they enter Israel, boom, explosion of population. Ad asher ko berchani Hashem. You see that Hashem blessed us. Baruch Hashem, we have so many children. This is in Yoshua chapter 17, verse 14. The blessing of Yaakov, everybody found out that the blessing of Yaakov to the children of Yosef. Remember, 40 years they were in a desert. They did not multiply. All of a sudden they enter Israel. Few years later they triple. The blessing of a tzaddik. And he say, I don't want you to multiply in the desert. What's the point? What's the point? It's a burden. Instead of taking f- five children, you have to take 50 children with you. Moshe, Itzhak, Mendel, Yoeli, where, where are you? You know, large families, they may forget one kid. They went to Bar Mitzvah in uh, Boro Park. On the way to Monse, everyone is here. <laughs> All of a sudden, they forgot one. <laughs> it's too many, it's hard to remember. 
You know these mothers that always make mistakes between the names of her children? Ah, huh? let's see. <laughs> Imagine if you have 23 children. 23, like one rabbi in Monsi, have 23 kids, Bli Ainara. 1920. Do you think you remember the names of all the kids? Maybe. Last thing for today, we have the blessing to the tribes. Zvulun and Issachar. You know Issachar and Zvulun? There is an agreement that somebody wealthy does with someone that learns Torah. It's called Issachar and Zvulun. Issachar was sitting and learning Torah, and Zvulun was a businessman in shipping, boats, boating, making merchandise from place to place, selling, making money. Zvulun said to his brother, I will support you financially, and you sit and learn Torah. Sometimes people send money to the yeshiva, and they ask, I want to get an avrech, to do Issachar and Zvulun with him. But people obviously don't have the knowledge what it means exactly Issachar and Zvulun. You know what it means Issachar and Zvulun? You must pay all their bills, everything. They don't have to deal with money. You pay the food, you pay the rent, you pay the mortgage, you pay the car, you pay transportation, you pay hospital bills, everything. If it's here in America, a religious family can be over $10,000 a month. In Israel, is maybe a fifth. How much an Avrech in Israel is living of? $2,000, $2,500? Much, much less than here, but still it's not cheap. So most people, they cannot do Issachar and Zvulun. So what do you do when you sponsor an Avrech? Like in my call in my shiva, we only give an Avrech $500 a month. All month, nothing. It's a, it's a very sad joke. There's no money. What can you do? Five hundred dollars, especially now when the dollar went down from four to three point two. Twenty percent reduction in the value of American money in few months. So they lost, as it is, twenty percent from their income because they get it in shekel. It's much less. So if a person sponsors an Avrech, thanks to that $500, he's actually in a kollel. Otherwise, he couldn't sit here and learn. So you actually have a share in all his learning, the entire month. How much only Hashem knows to divide? We don't know exactly, I mean, to calculate how many millions of mitzvot comes out of his learning for the entire month, how much he gets and how much you get. The good thing is that most of the poskim say that it does not decrease from his learning. What you're giving him, you get the same reward, but it doesn't, you don't take it away from him. There was a big question. Issachar and Zvulun, if the learner is making one million mitzvot a month, does he get one million and Zvulun gets one million, or it's divided to half a million, half a million? Most of the opinions I saw, they say Hashem is enough. He doesn't need to decrease from the other to give to him. But some poskim say, no, you have someone sponsoring you, half of your reward goes to him. The question now is, who deserves a bigger Yishar Koach, Issachar or Zvulun? The one who sponsors all the bills 
or the one who sit all month and learning Mara and writing and focusing on Torah and doesn't have to worry about money. Everything is paid. Who do you think is deserve? It's a little bit problematic how to ask the question. I can ask the question, who is more important? I can ask the question, who deserves bigger Ishar Koach? I, should, I can ask who will get a bigger reward. There's different ways to ask. Each question is a little bit different than the other. That's why I'm very, very careful how to ask the question. That's why I would rather say who deserves a tap on the shoulder. Mr. Rabbi that learns all day or Mr. Businessman that all day has to see lousy faces of idol worshippers in his jewelry store buying watches and necklaces all day begging them come here try this try that try this shipping that customer complain leak this audit who deserve a bigger shkoyach let's see so some say the learner, some say the sponsor. Let's see, let's see. But when you, when all your bills are sponsored, it's a great help against the Yetzirah. That's the whole point. You're right that in the end Hashem sponsors everyone. But it's different mentally when you know that you're starting the month and all your bills are going to be paid and you have nothing to worry about. Or when you have to now day by day begging Hashem for His mercy and His miracles. And sometimes you may not have it for a few days and the wife calling, crying, Moshe, don't ask, what? We got to know this, the marshal. We have 72 hours notice. It's a little bit uh, different atmosphere. When your bills are paid, yeah. So the answer is, both of the time when Moshe Rabbeinu gave blessing to the tribes and when Yaakov Avinu gave blessing to the tribes, both of them gave the blessing first to Zvulun, then to Issachar. But who was older? Issachar and Zvulun. But Zvulun got the blessing before. Meaning, it looks like that is more important than Issachar. Right? Let's see. Rashi writes, based on the Midrash, Zvulun osek beprakmatia. Business, trading. And supply the food and the needs of the Issachar tribe, which they sit and learn Torah. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu says. Zvulun, be happy when you go on your journey. Oil in the Torah means yeshiva. Like Yaakov, Ishtam, Yoshev, Oalim. Isachar be'o'alecha. He sits in the yeshiva and learn. The question is, Isachar was born before Zvulun. As you can see, 
in, ver, in chapter 30, verse 17 to 20. It described the order. Usually Yaakov is giving blessing to the sons based on their age, the oldest to the youngest. But here he switched. Why did he switch and put the young Zvulun before Issachar, his older brother? And also Moshe did the same thing. Rav Yitzchak Karo. Not Rav Yosef Karo. Huh? Not father, I think it was his uncle. His uncle. Rav Yitzchak Karo, the Jews that were kicked out of Spain in the Spanish Inquisition 500 years ago. In his famous book, Toldot Yitzchak, he says that the reason they bought Bless Zvulun before Issachar, because his reward is even greater than Issachar. He's greater than Issachar. He's greater than Issachar. I thought to explain why greater. Why not the same? Partner all the way. You have a business, two partners in a business. Pizza shop. One person is doing the bills with his tie and jacket sitting in the office making some phone calls. And one is the guy all day, door, by the oven, 500 degrees, sweating, dying, customers, pressure. In the end, they split 50-50. He doesn't say, you don't sweat 1% of what I sweat. Why would you get 50%? That's the deal. Two partners, 50-50. I do this and you do this. Why wouldn't it be the same? The answer is because the person that sits and learns Torah already have heaven in this world. He's already enjoying now. On top of it, he's going to get a huge reward later. But the one who works suffer non-stop. That's why he gets a special extra reward. You understand? Because there's nothing sweeter than learning Torah. If if you can get rent, if anyone pays rent in these days, if anyone pays rent. Ah, yeah. That's also possible. That's possible. Any questions before we conclude? Baruch Hashem. That's enough for today. Baruch Adonai. Oh, one, one announcement. One announcement. Thursday, two nights from now, 11 p.m., I'm speaking in a New Year's Eve event. Uh, it's uh, 2013, East 13. 2013, East 13. And by Avenue T. Rabbi Yosef Falachi is going to speak before me, and then I start at 11. It's going to be food and good liquors. And it's going to be Chinese food, like last year. The purpose is to keep the young boys and girls from going to bad places on New Year's night. We're not Christian, this means nothing to us. Therefore you come and listen to Shiur Torah, this coming Thursday, 
Mm-hmm. You can go to the first lecture of Rabbi Palachi, I, I would assume it's around 10, 10 o'clock, and mine should start at 11. I will speak about until 12.30. You're going to have good food over there. Enjoy the night. Baruch Adonai Amen